Hi, welcome to On Second Thought, uh, where the podcast where Sam and myself, Sixto, will look at films that have mediocre to bad reviews and see how we feel about them on the second viewing. Although sometimes it will be a first viewing. However, in this case, I think, Sam, for me, it's more like 20th viewing. How about you? Yeah, this is a... a, a... I've got a worn-out Blu-ray version of this. That's how That's how much I've watched this one. <laughs> yeah, no, this slipcover of my Blu-ray is like... The, you know the bottom where you just sort of like put it in and out from? It's, yeah. It's, 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 in a, it's in a state. I'm lucky with mine. I had the, the Steelbook version. I got it for a, for a birthday one year. <sighs> and it's, it's, it wouldn't get much if I resold it at this point. The scratches on it are, <laughs> are signs of a enjoy, an enjoyed film. That's all I'm going to say. I've got to say, I think this, it's not my all-time favorite movie, but it's definitely one of the most rewatchable for me, most enjoyable movies for me. Um, I'm going to have a hard time putting myself in the shoes of the reviews that I have found. Yeah, I was I was thinking that as I was watching, I was like, this is going to be a really tough episode. This could be difficult to agree with, and purely because, and I'll admit it straight off the top, like, I'm going to come at this with huge bias. So I am really going to tr- struggle, but really try to see the alternative viewpoint mm-hmm. in this one. I really, really will try. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is definitely just full-on bias warning. We, Yeah, big bias time. Um, if, I don't think we're going to be able to get as critical as... I mean, I have good reasons, though, as to why I love this film so much. So I don't think like it's a complete blind... Um, fanboy moment here but just so you know you know it's like i do love i am coming into this already so in love with this movie yeah this this film was part of my dissertation so i really think that yeah um, i have critical analysis of it but critical in in the sense of like detailed analysis not a critique so to speak well, talking about that, why don't we actually talk about what the movie... I don't think we've even mentioned what the film is, so why don't you give us a little, little well, we've intro? Done, we've done a little uh, uh, tease of a build-up for people coming into it. So today we are looking at Evil Dead, the 2013... And this is where I get confused straight away. Are we calling this a remake? Are we calling it a sequel? Are we calling it a reboot? I think for now we'll just call it Evil Dead 2013. Uh, yeah, so I think that's fair. Evil Dead 2013 is the feature debut for director Fede Alvarez who has gone on to direct things such as Don't Breathe and The Girl in the Spider's Web or the Something in a Spider's Web. Um, that one wasn't very good, but Don't Breathe's excellent. <laughs> and he has, mm-hmm. a, he has an upcoming Apple Plus TV series, which also looks very interesting. But this is his feature debut um, after coming off of making a short film, which, interestingly enough, was heavily based around CGI and, and special effects. So to move into a predominantly practical style of filmmaking there's a lot of lot of interesting ideas around that there's a lot of the choice of Fede Alvarez I think especially from watching that short film I'm always thinking how did he get this role he he completely smashed it I think but Mm -hmm. how did he get this role where did this come from I have no idea how he got it I think I was reading review like no review sorry interviews and he himself um, said that when they first announced, I think Sam Raimi originally announced that he was going to produce a remake of Evil Dead. Fede apparently was like, oh my God, how dare they? How could they do that? It's going to be terrible, blah, blah, blah. And then somehow, some way, Sam Raimi got in touch with Fede being like, do you want to do it? Oh, wow. <laughs> Which is quite funny. I don't, yeah, I, I, read, I read the story. I can't remember it off the top of my head, though. Um, probably should have 
dug it out for this, but it was obviously, what, like, eight years ago now, more so, so. That's incredible, um, though. But yeah, so it's, yeah. it's his feature debut, so we've got, this is the fourth film in the franchise, and um, from all reports, this is a sequel. Um, everyone working on it thought this is a sequel, and we'll get into the reasons why a bit later on. But it had a budget of 17 million, and globally made 97.5 million. So, not finance bad. wise, yeah, finance wise, this is a real success. If your if your first film is making, what's that, over quadruple your budget? Okay. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah, that's you're, you're doing something well. So yeah, so Evil Dead loosely, this film follows a group of five people being haunted and killed by supernatural entities in a remote cabin in the woods, and that is an extremely loose description of it. But more specifically, we are witnessing one of the worst rehab clinics in the world. <laughs> I think that's the only way I could describe it. Absolutely right. Um, yeah, definitely. If you need to go cold turkey, don't don't do it here. No, don't don't avoid any any cabins in the woods with um, burnt down Oldsmobiles in the back. And so we have dead dead cats. Yeah, oh, all of it. Lots of dead cats. We have a um, kind of a, a spiritual turn on the original story of they find this book of the dead, the Necronomicon, and from there things start to happen and things get bad, essentially. I don't want to go into too much plot detail because I think we'll get into that in a second, but for a basis, if you are listening to this, having not seen the film, it's been eight years, go and watch it then come back and listen to the rest of this, because from here on out, I say we'll just go into spoiler territory. I mean, mm-hmm. I think after eight, after eight years, do you need to say, oh, spoilers? I don't know, some people still get, I remember I was watching um, something about Final Fantasy VII, and people got mad at it for spoiling that um, Ares dies. Spoiler alert. But it's like, it's been like over, it's like, what, like 30 years? Yeah, 20 years? Sure. 20 games, years, yeah. something like that. I don't even think I was born like, when that on. game came out. When did it come out? I was either born on that year or well, not born yet. <laughs> yeah. Either way, I'm not mad that, that that has been spoiled from you many times because, like, it's just been that long. It You can't be mad at that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's like, guys, did you know Darth Vader is um, Anakin Skywalker's... Um, sorry, no. Yeah, Darth Vader is Anakin Skywalker. <laughs> yeah, that's the, that is the biggest spoiler. I almost got that wrong <laughs> yeah, I was just going to leave it's you to Luke's it Luke Skywalker's dad yeah. yeah Anakin is, is Darth Vader's Anakin's dad no Anakin is Darth Vader who's Luke's dad guys come on I haven't seen Star Wars in so long anyway <laughs> so yeah so Evil Dead um, 2013 is by my account a kind of the way that you do one of these modern interpretations of an 80s, 70s, 80s horror film. I think this is the pinpoint because you take the the pure essence of it, you take the the brutality that is there in the original um, and its sequel, but you translate it to the more cynical nature of things, how things were in the early 2010s, where we weren't, you know, now we have turned more into this kind of everything's with a, a, a nod and a wink as we get into the, the late 2010s. But early 2010s is very much self-serious. Like, these things are happening, and they are real. So, you know, outside of um, looking at things like the Friday the 13th remakes, the Texas Chainsaw remakes, all of the different remakes, I think the thing that they all miss out on is 
they go for this adaption, but they go for they go for too grand. They go too large scale. They go too. This needs to be its own thing, while also being exactly like the original. Whereas I think what Evil Dead does well is it admits that the story itself doesn't need to change so much. The characters can change, but there's something interesting about having and something narrative-wise about having this repeated sense of horror and this repeated action happening with the Necronomicon. It's almost like this, it's bound to happen, like this is fate just repeating itself. But then twisting that into, rather than having the the quite comedic nature of the original and its remake, more so, more so the original and, and its um, Evil Dead 2, more so Evil Dead 2, this mm-hmm. one plays into the, I guess, the fear of the time and this um, anglicized nature of of the war against drugs and things like that and and how people are just afraid now early 2010s people were just afraid and you know we're, we're coming off of um we survived the end of the world in 20 by 2013 so really oh my god so true yeah people were afraid so while this film was being made they they someone on that cast definitely thought that this was the last film they ever ever gonna make so there is a real sense of fear in this film <laughs> Yeah, um, also I think just to um, kind of like go off of that, uh, a lot of people, and we'll, I'll definitely get into this because it's one of the reviews that I found, um, sort of miss the, well, they, they all think that Evil Dead trilogy was about comedy and the beautiful like uh, merging of comedy and horror, which for Evil Dead 2, which in itself is, by the way, a remake of Evil, the Evil Dead and um, Army of Darkness, that's the case. But the Evil Dead wasn't, I mean, it's funny, but it's not funny intentionally. I think even Sam Raimi himself, it's like, yeah, like, they just didn't know how to make a movie properly. Like, it's not intentionally funny. It's just really over-the-top campy. And that's why I think, I think, I feel like this is almost what they were trying to make back then, but just didn't have the know-how or the money. Yeah, definitely. There's, um, I remember reading similar um, interviews with Sam Raimi where they were, they were, well, they they made the original one on weekends, like just out mm-hmm. in the out in the woods. Like they didn't have a a plan. All of the glide shots are a piece of timber that they're just <laughs> flying the camera around on. So, no, nothing. I don't think there was a sense of intent outside of the style of the filmmaking. You know, we mm-hmm. are dealing with with professional. I love Bruce Campbell, but we're not dealing with Evil Dead One. Looking at Marlon Brando's style of acting, here we have people who are. Yeah. This is weekends for them. This is a Saturday job for them. So no, mm-hmm. I do, I do, I do agree that this one is, it has that original sense of fear, and that original sense of of horror, going into it. But one thing we haven't actually spoken about is what are our, what are our actual opinions on it. We, we basically said them, but if we just get down to brass tacks of it, what is your actual opinion of the film, Sixter? Love it, absolutely love it. Just like hands down. Um... I think it's stylish. I love, love the cinematography in this. I love the music score in this. I think Fede, for as much as we say, it doesn't do that sort of winky of the camera moments that um, more recent horror movies do, like sort of like the new Halloween sequel and stuff like that. This does have a, um, especially in the second half, it's it's having fun. Like it, it, it definitely is winking at you and just is slightly more... Um, 
serious way to explain, which I really pre like. You know, towards the end, um, without jumping around too much, when we start getting these shots that are very reminiscent of Sam Raimi with like crash zooms into like flipping bat car batteries and stuff like that, it's very, to me, it's very much better like embracing the campiness of it all while still fitting within his new serious take, which I really love. Also, I think the performances of the cast, minus, <laughs> minus the main lead dude, uh, what's his name? Um, David. Yeah, David. Well, I'm trying to think of the actor's name. Anyway, oh, David, um, bless you. Oh, I, I remember the actor's name as well. Escapes. Fernandez yeah, something. Mind. Yeah, anyways, um, you weren't my favorite. Everybody else, though, uh, amazing, especially, especially Jane... Um, Levi, Levi, Jen Levi? Jane Levy, yeah, um, something, something Levi, Levy. Levi. Levy or Levi, anyway, I think she's absolutely amazing, and especially in this, she kills it. Like, she carries the movie, not that the movie needs carrying, because the movie itself is so good for me, um, but she really sells it. Like, she sells the possession, she sells the fear from the first half of the movie, she sells being, like, possessed to the other half, and then the finale, for me, the last 15 minutes of this is one of the best horror sequences ever just for me like just in terms of construction pacing campiness um you know it's raining blood the limbs are being severed chainsaws are being wielded like all within 15 minutes at the end it to me is like this is what a genre horror genre piece should be it's so much fun so 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 much fun yeah <laughs> yeah no fully fully agree um it's there's a, like you said before, there's a sense of this film where you can just, it's endlessly rewatchable in that, first of all, it's so quick. Like, by the time you, you've started this film, you're already into the action. And we can speak about uh -huh. this a bit more a bit later, but it's so efficient in its storytelling that you're never, like, waiting around for these scenes of, oh, now I need to explain what this book is and why this book is evil and all these different things. It just explains it through one insert shot that says, don't read this. And then we just yeah. we just understand. Um, I think there's a, like I said, that there's that sense of escalating violence throughout this film that works on a narrative scale as well as on a almost, this is disgusting, you know, we go from people cutting their cheeks open to you know, Mia literally ripping her arm off, which, like you said, is, <laughs> is amazing. Like, this how they got all this to do. And it still looks so good. It still looks so, so mm -hmm. good. How they did all of this and how they made it fit coherently within this narrative is beyond, I believe, it's beyond my understanding of, of general story structure because this, it does, it feels like a film of two halves. Once we get to those final 15 minutes, it completely works in the sense of everything that has led up to this moment. But at the same time, we've gone from watching a film directed by by um Betty Alvarez to a film that feels like it's directed by a David Lynch mixed with Sam Raimi mixed with Nicholas Reffin. Like it's <laughs> there's so much that fits into that final moment. And to to end it all on that that final chainsaw through the mouth scene of just I don't even want to guess the amount of fake blood used for that final scene. But I think they broke a record. It's just incredible. Yeah, the film. I think they did break the record for the most blood used. The film itself is is just down and out incredible. Really, really is. Uh -huh. Interestingly, though. Uh -huh. So this is this is according to IMDb trivia. So take it with a grain of salt. 
But apparently mm-hmm. part of Chan Wook was at one point tapped to direct a film. Really? Yeah. And for those who don't know, Park Chan Wook is director of things such as Old Boy, The Handmaiden, and he did Stoker as well, didn't he? The, his his only yeah. only English language film to this point. I think so. Other yeah. Yeah. And... Huh. Interesting. I'd love to see his version of an Evil Dad movie too. You know, though, I think. I think that could be fun. I think that would be one of the most terrifying films that I've ever seen. And I think morally, <laughs> I don't know if I could cope with a film like that. Yeah, it's very, very interesting. Yeah, but really interesting. And, and again, it's IMDb. I'm not I'm not 100% sure if it's true or not. But just imagining that sort of film would, it sent shivers down my spine. Someone, the person who directed Old Boy, then making a film where essentially you just need to make the nastiest of movies ever. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a combination that maybe we're not ready for yet. Maybe. I don't know. After watching, um, what did I watch? That I watched um, Itchy the Killer. It's, uh, it's another, it's J-Horror, which obviously um, part one is from Korea. But after seeing that, I'm like, I think, I think, um, I think we can handle it. <laughs> if that movie got made. <laughs> if that movie was made and released and somehow mildly well known, um, I think we can, we're ready for another we we can handle that. Itchy the Kid, that's Takeshi um, Mika, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. Who also made Audition and One Miss Call. Um, One Miss Call being extremely tame, considering the other two. You know what the scariest <laughs> thing about Takeshi Mika is? Is that what? he's directed over 100 films. Shut up. Yep, over 100 films. I own his 100th film. What the fuck? Yeah, exactly. A <laughs> hundred That's more than like Ridley Scott, and I thought he was like already way too much. His yearly releases at his big old age. Yep. Like, and you imagine just the the scope of movies like this. Like he's got, you go from Audition to to um, Each of the Killer to the Dead or Alive and Dead or Alive Two. So but he made those, didn't he? Yeah, and yeah. So his hundredth film is Blade of the Immortal, which is. Like a a, um, like shonen warrior, just really really good movie. But you know when you're like you've made a hundred films, how are you still doing this? <laughs> well, huh? Yeah, that's that's my shocking trivia for the week as right, well. I'm like I'm like still processing like a hundred because he's not old either. Like he started making movies in the nineties, right? I believe. Yeah, no, there's no. He's not. Uh, like he, he's not Ridley Scott. He's not a man in his late 70s still trying to make movies. And the fact that there's still a quality to them, there's something going on there. Maybe maybe he's read the Necronomicon and he's just, he's getting his powers from somewhere. Maybe. Oh, gosh. Anyway, back to Evil Dead. Let's let's not get too carried away with 100 movies. I can't, I can't. You know, that's one marathon. Oh, my God. That's an ambitious marathon to do, isn't it? that's, that's, That's a month worth. Of films at the Prince Charles. That's your month-long marathon. Oh, we could just live there, pay rent. Yeah. <laughs> oh gosh. Okay. Well, on that note, um, let's let's just crack on with these reviews. Um, uh, just as a obviously precursor, it's got a sixty percent on Rotten Tomatoes, which is considered um, fresh, but um, you know it's not the best score. So there was plenty of reviews to pick from. I've tried to pick four reviews that touch on different 
different problems because a lot of the reviews kind of had the same issues with these. Um, the first one being, and this is kind of like the main, um, the main sort of problem with most reviewers that I was seeing and most critics, which is the lack of, um, kind of like the lack of originality just being a little bit by the books. So this is by Todd Jorgensen for Cinemalog, and he said, the bigger budget makes the new Evil Dead more visually polished, which doesn't necessarily equate to more frightening. It's occasionally creepy and ominous, but most often it is more disgusting than scary, and the only laughs come from a recurring gag involving duct tape. Which, by the way, is really funny to me. Anyway. <laughs> there are some stylish depictions of death and torture and a harrowing final showdown that almost makes the whole thing worthwhile. Yet, for the most part, Evil Dead relies on familiar scare tactics such as technical trickery, piercing music, and people jumping out of the shadows. The new film pays tribute to its source material in the closing credits, issuing an unintentional reminder of how superior it was. Oh. Mm, well then. I think... There's a lot to, to unpack there, really, because there's this idea that, oh, the film needs to be, first of all, paying homage to the original, but also different enough to stand out amongst itself. Then this idea that mm -hmm. that visual trickery is something that's a bad thing. Like, yeah, it's another whole point of cinema. Yeah, like, everything that's, set up, basic. everything that's set up in this is designed to do so, for it to be creepy. I don't think the film is trying necessarily to be scary in, in that um, conjuring insidious universe. This is trying yeah. to just be deeply unsettling and deeply disturbing. And I'm not sure what films this, this reviewer has seen, but I've never seen someone lick a standing knife. So I don't, I'd argue that, don't that was... yeah, there's a lot of original ideas within this film. There's a lot of original uh -huh. concepts within this film. Um, I, I can appreciate the sense that maybe, again, is this just a victim of its time in the sense that we were going through the swathe of, of remakes and and every single horror film was essentially the same horror film. So they were all violent, they all had blood, or they were all just your, boo, something's jumped out of the closet sort of film. I think this, uh -huh. this, this melds that idea. It melds the idea of we can have jump scares, which are, which are never... Um, unearned jump scares they are they're all like designed to make you afraid of whatever is on screen and but you can also mm. melt that with just gross out imagery yeah touching on the jump scare and kind of jumping off from that um i a think that the jump scares in this work because they're really not first of all they're not really that many they are relegated to specific moments a well, the first one really is the very before the credits come on, uh, the, the title sequence comes on, which is when the uh, girl in the woods gets possessed and says she's going to rip her dad's soul out, which is one of my favorite jump scares ever. So that one really works for me. Um, yeah. Also because it's not very, it it doesn't do the usual quiet, quiet, bang, something coming out from like where you can't see. It's like she's literally just in front of the camera the entire time and then just suddenly, just I think it's a really well-constructed scene anyway, the opening. Um, but also you get the, Jump scares are relegated either to the period of time between the reading of the book and sort of Mia being possessed. So it's kind of like playing on her sort of psychosis from being in withdrawal and also the scary things happening, which I think work thematically because it's like she would be edgy. Everything's here to get her. 
and um, you want to get that sense that the woods itself is attacking her and you kind of get that from the several visions that she's getting when she's out in the woods. And then we don't really get jump scares. We get scares, but we don't get like a, nothing really jumps at us until we're towards the end of the movie in the basement when David comes to, um, to take Mia from the basement and sort of inject her with the tranquilizer. And that's a very effective jump scare. It always scares me. So aside from those points, I don't think the movie relies on those jump scares at all uh, because, again, they're setting up a the character's state of mind or, they yes, they're just setting up a scare, but that's kind of what horror movies do. I think the reason... So all of these reviews, by the way, are from when they came out. So they're from 2013. Um, 2013 was an interesting point, especially for a movie like this because we have just finished the torture porn saga of the 2000s, right? I think Saw 8 finally came out in, like, 2010, 2011. Yeah. We didn't really get anything. Torture porn died, like, essentially. So that was the violence of it. And instead, what we were seeing was a resurgence of supernatural, mostly non-violent horror, starting with, like, Paranormal Activity, Insidious, and then, obviously, the same year as this, The Conjuring. Actually, the 2013 song, Conjuring and Insidious 2, um, and, and, you know, so supernatural horror was becoming the mainstream and more popular, and that was all about jump scares and not really violence. Um, and it had its, especially James Wan, which is a man that we both love as a filmmaker, but he definitely kind of redefined what horror was going to look like in the 2010s. And this was stuck in a place where it's violent, very violent, but not in the torture porn way, um, even though I think a lot of people... Uh, weren't able to sort of distinguish them. And then it's supernatural, but it's not supernatural enough. It's The emphasis isn't in its supernatural thing. There's no really... Um, again, there's not that classic structure of silence, silence, bang, silence, silence, bang, that was so popular at the time. So I think that's probably what was causing this sort of idea that the movie wasn't really doing anything new because it was kind of retreading the old violent um thirst that we had in the early 2000s but also not being fresh like the supernatural horror movies were and just to sort of top it off the marketing <laughs> really didn't do this movie any service um because if you remember when these posters were plastered everywhere it would always be like a picture of me or whatever and from like the back and just did biggest letters ever just saying the most terrifying experience you'll ever... Oh, no, yeah, the most terrifying yeah. film you'll ever experience. That was, like, the tagline. That was entire marketing. And let's be real, this isn't it. <laughs> no, I, I remember them posters. You're, they are... They are they're mis-selling the movie. Deeply, deeply mm-hmm. mis-selling it. Because this movie isn't trying to be that. It's... Um, it's unrelenting. So that could have been a better time. The most unrelenting experience, maybe. Um, it's full of dread and it's violent but it's not scary and i think because people were sort of expecting that and because come on 23rd like the conjuring was a scary experience in theaters paranormal activity was scary in theaters so it's like this even in the cinema wasn't scary it was just a very different type of horror so i think that's kind of a going to be the root for what disappointed a lot of people is the fact that this wasn't the horror that we were craving at the time yeah no I, I think you really summarized there to why people were maybe disappointed in, in the review sphere because i think um 
well, commercially, we've seen how well it's done. And mm-hmm. audience reception to it, you know, I don't go around on the streets asking people, what do you think of Evil Dead 2013? But sure, if I did, they'd, they'd at least say, oh, yeah, I enjoyed that one. Um, but there was, there was that this kind of, oh, now everything needs to be another Conjuring. Everything needs to be another Insidious. And we did fall into that trap of that. There hasn't been for ages a film that is this committed to just dread and I think that's you really made the interesting point that this isn't that this is violent but it's not torture porn and I think that touches on this idea that the torture porn levels of films were designed and predicated around these scenes of pure how far can we push our age rating how far can we push our specific moment not through and not so much you know I don't particularly love the Hostel films but Hostel 1 has a bit more tact about it than the others do. Hostel 2, I think, is terrible. But Hostel 1 is is, is, <laughs> is more subtle in its sense of there's a lot more implication. And uh-huh. I think when you move into your later Saw films, your later Hostel films, any of the... I could probably just name something and it will be the name of, like, oh, The Initiative. That'll probably be a, a torture porn film at some point. But they they are designed and built around specific moments and scenes of just how long can we focus on this until an audience member turns away or shuts their eyes or does something like that because we've shown a drill going through the leg and we are sticking with that drill going through the leg. Whereas in Evil Dead, they are... Mm-hmm. Evil Dead, we build up to these moments, but once we're in them, we are shocked and then we are away from them because we don't linger on this pain so much as we... This pain happens and then more pain needs to come. So when we come into... Um, Olivia cutting into her... No, is it Olivia or Nat? No, it's Olivia, isn't it? It's Olivia, yeah. yeah. Um, I guess we can speak on the interchangeable characters in a bit, but mm-hmm. <laughs> Olivia cutting into her face and Eric comes in. We get, first of all, the sound design. Disgusting. Absolutely disgusting. Absolutely horrid. But you're allowed to build up that, oh, what is, what is happening here before we actually see it? But then we see it, we know what we've seen, and we don't then linger on it because... No, now she's turned on Eric. So now we're in a new now we're in a new story. We're no longer in watching someone be be in that torture sphere. We're now watching an attack. So we're now watching a, vi- mm-hmm. a scene of violence instead of a scene of oh how how long can we sustain on this one image? How long can we sustain on this one one person in a chair with nowhere to move but suffer? Like this this film isn't about tying people up in chairs and making them suffer. It's about that suffering leading to more and more pain for everyone else. It's it's that it's that domino effect of you suffer, then you suffer, then you suffer. Whereas in the torture porn sphere, it's more of, oh, you're in this trap, you're going to suffer. Now I'm going to cut away, and now you're in this trap, and you're going to suffer. It's individualized, and I think in that sense, it's got more of a that, that leering eye on it. Whereas here, it's, no, your eye needs to be everywhere because you're not showing you torture we're showing you fear we're showing you just downright um trying to think of, of, a, of a better word to put it than just hell it is it's just downright this is hell uh-huh. um it's also it's I'm gonna, i think i'm gonna start a little bit with like actually putting words to what i'm thinking but torture porn films um felt 
mean and nasty pretty often. They were really harsh and an unpleasant experience um, by design. You're right, they really do linger on the infliction of pain and the actual pain element of it. Whereas here, um, obviously the stuff that's happening to them does will would hurt. I mean, these people get brutalized pretty bad, but it never feels mean. And I don't know how to explain it because obviously it's horrifying what they're going through, but it's it just doesn't feel nasty. I don't feel like I'm watching something that's making me, and maybe this just speaks to my psychotic mind, but I don't feel uncomfortable in the sense that I would feel watching something like The Girl Next Door or Funny Games or, and again, Hostel, stuff like that. Because those films are really horrendous um, and difficult to sit through. Specific, God, I don't know if you've seen The Girl Next Door, but that's something I really don't want to ever, ever have to see ever again. Yeah. That really, it's, it's you know, it's like those are, and I mean, they're infamous for being so hard to watch anyway, whereas I feel like this, in a way, is gorier than a lot of torture porn films, but it's not as infamous, it's not as hard stomach because you're not inflicting the pain. I also think the setting of it being supernatural and so over the top, like, this girl saws her arm off with the meat, uh, with, the, with like those electric meat knives, and then has it hanging by like a couple flesh strings and then duct tapes it, like, it's so ridiculous. And it just doesn't feel nearly as nasty as um, something of like maybe someone drilling a screwdriver into someone's kneecaps. You know, that, that feels worse. Even though technically sewing off your own arm would probably be worse in real life. Um, this just doesn't feel like real life. This feels like a nightmare dream, um, which I think really... I don't know if I'm making any sense, but it just really makes it so much so different to me just the violence in this it's just so different to me than those the, the nasty torture porn not, not saying that all torture porn films are bad i actually quite respect something like martyrs and i really like the first saw um although i wouldn't say saw torture porn anyway getting sidetracked but do you, do you know what i mean like does that am i making sense yeah no you're i really do get what you mean in that sense that and as you said it i was thinking about it and i was like yeah we are we're in this this hellscape for this whole film like we're not this film isn't trying to demonstrate reality and then show just how messed up people can be. Like we're not seeing, oh, someone's captured someone else and they're going to do this to them. We're seeing, oh, this is something demonic and otherworldly. So what's happening is happening because of a in this hellscape scenario. Like we're not going to go and find this book of the dead and do this. But the chances of... Oh, I'm, I would hope not, but the chances of someone coming across like a <laughs> like a billionaire secret torture club, maybe. Who knows? I really, really hope yeah. not. But you know, I'm not. The world is messed up, so I'm not going to say it's not happening. And I'm just going to fingers crossed that it isn't. But yeah, we're not. This is this is firmly situates itself within a a nightmare. This film is a nightmare, and so the the violence that we see, yes, it's it's gory and it's it's buckets of blood but it's still you have that and i wouldn't call this a layer of detachment in the same way that when we watch something that's all cgi we'd know that oh nothing's actually happening but there's a layer of okay this is disgusting but i'm safe where i'm watching this from i'm safe behind the screen that i'm watching this from and so i rather than be pu purely disgusted by it i can empathize with but also have that layer of oh this is also a 
nightmare. And so I want to see these characters survive. So they need to go through these elements. They need to go through these moments of torture in order to survive. Mm-hmm. Actually, talking about all this gore, my second review is um, specifically about the gore. Oh, let's um, hear it. This is by, yeah, this is about Zena Dixon um, for Real Queen of Horror. <laughs> Do you know her, Sam? <laughs> Surprisingly, it's my pseudonym that I was writing at the time when I was a mere 15 year old. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, so this is what she had to say. Uh, there were only two things that I liked about this film. Yes, only two. I liked the cinematography and the music. I disliked the plot and the characters. I'm a huge fan of gore. In my opinion, there can never be too much gore. Yet, there can be a necessary gore. Uh, by the way, I think that statement kind of um, contradicts itself. But anyway, I definitely felt that the director was trying to top the original film in terms of that gore, and I felt that he was focusing on the gore so much that the plot got slapped together and put on the back burner. While watching the film, I remember waiting for something awesome to happen. I wanted, I waited so long um, that the end of credits were over and the theater was empty. I just cannot recommend this film. Wow. Um, yeah, so I think we kind of touched quick, very briefly on the idea that the plot it's like, how did they manage to put all these situ- like gory situations in a plot? According to her, it didn't. It feels like the plot is specifically done um, just to put around these set pieces, which I think it probably is. They probably came out with like, these are the things that we want to happen. Again, going to the remake, they probably are like, what are the biggest moments of the original um, two films, really? Because there's a, there's a bit of both in these. And that's, you know... The cutting off the arms, chainsaws, um, tree rape, which uh, something we could probably talk about. Um, and, you know, so they probably were like, okay, let's bring all these elements in, and then how do we tie them together? I just happen to disagree in that I actually think they did it pretty well. So, A, their excuse as to why they don't leave when the weird things are happening, I think it's really good. Um, you know, the whole, like, Oh, she's just seeing... Because, you know, in horror movies, they're always, like, one of the people always start freaking out, even in the original, and then no one listens to her. And it's, like, in real life, if if you're not... Say I'm, like, with my friends out in the cabin in the woods, and one of them starts freaking the fuck out, I might think they're being weird and dramatic, but, like, we will go, right? Like, we're not going to force them to stay. Yeah. So here, they come with a pretty great excuse, really, which is that she's going through withdrawal. And it's, like, no, you have to... You, you have to stick it out because that's kind of what you have to do if you're going to cold turkey. And then by the time that they realized, oh shit, this has gone too far, which is when she burns her face off with hot water, um, which is a very disgusting scene. Um, then this giant, and I call it, I mean, it's a supernatural movie. So but I people, I've seen people be like, oh, that wouldn't happen. It's like the entire movie wouldn't happen because it's not real. But um, the, you know, the river kind of floods and they can't escape, which I think. It's a really good way to keep them together. And I don't know. I think the plot is actually very serviceable. I think it really elevates these horror moments because I think they just stick them together. And yes, the you know, yes, it is probably the back burner, but you're not coming. The movie's called Evil Dead. It's a remake of one of the original video nasties from the 80s that was literally banned in the UK. Like, why would you come here expecting... Like, you're not here for the plot. You're not even here for the characters, which is why a lot of these characters, you don't even, like, Natalie, I think is named once, and we never really remember her name or anything like that. Because you're not here to sympathize. You're not here to connect with them. You're here to watch them die and enjoy it. So 
I don't know what you'd want other than a fun lore-fueled tale. Yeah, no, I think there's a a sense coming off of this review that they wanted the 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 Alvarez cut of Evil Dead, where we have three hours before everything happens, <laughs> where we learn about where we learn all of Natalie's backstory about the fact that she was a a. Um, I just watched this film this morning and I can't remember what her role was, but she was a something. And <laughs> I'd actually argue that the plot has a bit more to do with the, the violence within it as well, because if you think about the whole setup, we have Mia going through withdrawals from um, drug addiction. And so everything that happens within the film feels like almost a a biblical punishment for her addiction. You know, mm-hmm. she at one point literally tears her arm off. And I'm not saying that she's purely injecting all these drugs into her arm, but, you know... If you... But it was heroin, I think, that she had the problem with. Yeah, her. so if you wanted heavy symbolism, like, the the violence fits within the moment. We have that she is is sick onto Natalie, and then Natalie has to tear her, cut her own arm off again, leading to this idea of the, the arm is the big thing. Yes, it was links in with the original... But also, it fits within this narrative, and it fits within this idea of this is how. If we're looking at the the Saturday morning cartoon version of this film, this film is about how drugs ruin your life. Essentially, this film, <laughs> this, uh-huh. yeah, they ruin your life and they ruin everyone around you. But yeah. it's set up with everything that happens happens within it. You know, this idea of the the nail gun is like injections. It's like this very fierce piercing of the skin um as we said about with the the um arms being cut off we have that she is slowly infecting everyone around her once she becomes infected mm-hmm. which is again that, that's idea that oh um the drugs are ruining her life and then subsequently everyone around her whether that's that she is oh sick on natalie so natalie's addicted as well and i think i think it plays in quite olivia. well olivia <laughs> that's it <laughs> Is she sick no, on... but you're right. I mean, yeah. the... uh, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Go on. Is, is, she, is she sick on Olivia? She's sick on who's the one that she has. She's sick on Olivia. Who's the one that she has yeah, down? She's the sick ground? on Olivia, and she kisses Natalie. She's like, yeah, yeah. They're, they're, so there, so there's your. If you wanted again more of that really heavy symbolism, it's uh-huh. this is a sickness. It's an infection, and these drugs are bad. Essentially, this whole film is like, oh, drugs are bad. Drugs are very bad. Oh, drugs! Drugs raised the, the the abomination from the ground, um, but no, and I think it's probably a good point now as well to mention that for a horror film, the efficiency of that opening intro- character introductions. I know you can say <laughs> that you can laugh at it and you can say it's bad, but wow, does it just get everything out of the way instantly? Like it's so effective and and it's so stupidly effective right like it's what like six lines oh hey man haven't seen you in a while yeah you i can't believe you estranged and went to work in a garage shop by the way your mom's dead and it's like oh hi i'm natalie the girlfriend oh you're the heartbreaker from the garage shop it's like dude (laughs) and then we have oh yeah how's it how is it teaching high school kids um eric and it's like pretty well now yeah and now we know all the characters and then we get the slower moment with Mia and David because we need that. But for everyone else, yeah, we just like it starts and then it's done. And I don't need to then spend. Oh, now I need to see. Oh, Eric's brought his papers along because he needs to mark them because there's deadlines. 
and he needs to get them done in time. Mm-hmm. And Olivia, no, yeah, clear. Olivia is is scared because she's a nurse. She doesn't want to lose her job by being friends with an addict. No, Olivia's a nurse. There you go, done. Mm-hmm. Plus, also just quickly on that, actually, it, as, again, as I I do think it's kind of silly, but also just really fun and sort of part of the genre, um, and it doesn't waste time. The backgrounds of these characters do actually come into play in the rest of the plot in terms of what, how they how they serve the story, right? So, we have Eric, who's the academic. Uh, well, before I get into that, the central plot is between David and Mia, right? And I think that's actually really well established, really well thought out. The entire thing, the relationship between them, culminates greatly when he's about to burn it and then decides to resurrect. Like I think it all works really well. Mm-hmm. Then Eric, he's the teacher, he's the academic, he's the one that like understands a little bit more the book is able to like translate it and understand it and follow it so just you can kind of tell that it's like yes he's a t- he's he's academic here he knows how to research he knows how to read these texts we have the nurse olivia which again is very useful because she's the one that's doing all the nursing things like injecting her with sedatives and all that and even the way she dies man it's kind of you could say it's a little bit of a uh, surgery <laughs> that she goes through <laughs> and then natalie who again doesn't really have she's probably the least memorable character well i think memorable her scene is very iconic the arm removal scene oh, yeah um you don't really have evil dead without chopping off an arm but she's just described as a heartbreaker from the garage shop and you know what um that's exactly what she is and mia even thinks about it because she, as you recall she can smell her filthy soul which kind of goes back into the whole horror trope which some people call that this might be tired, but I think it's just acknowledging of, you know, having the sort of five characters or one's clever, one's a jock, one's um, smart, one's a whore, one's a virgin kind of thing. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I think it's effective. <laughs> no, it, it really, really is. And it, you know, just circling back to that review of, of um, as you made a mention of as well, that, oh, there's, there's gore, but there's not place for, what was it called? Like, un unjustified gore whatever the whatever the, the review oh, unnecessary gore yeah unnecessary yeah. gore like what what do you class as unnecessary i understand what unnecessary gore might be in a film such as in um an action movie or something like that but as you said before when you go into an evil dead movie like is there such a thing as unnecessary gore and even with that surely the sheer fact that you are seeing these things and as we've made mention of before they're not then holding on these you know aside from our big moments we don't hold on violence we don't hold on small little injuries and mm-hmm. um in fact there's only one injury in this that actually makes makes me feel sick and and scream and squirm which i'm pretty sure you know what it is but, as well but yeah. every everything else isn't stuck on just showing the gore of this showing the absolute endless moments of here look at this wound bleeding it's not you see it and it's done. You see it and it's done, and it it mm-hmm. the effect of it lingers, but the gore doesn't. This isn't, you know, this isn't martyrs, so to speak, where we do yeah. hold on violence and we do live in that violence. Here we are, we are victims of violence, but we're not existing in the violence, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think that's a really good point, and I agree very much, and I think that's time for me to move on to review number three, um, only because, um, it kind of 
touches a little bit on the um, splatterness, but also I kind of mentioned the five stereotype, uh, the five stereotypes from horror movie, and this going to reference another horror movie that came the year before this, which may also have affected the reception at the time. So this is Nigel Floyd for Time Out magazine, and he said. Last year, The Cabin in the Woods took a pieces of the whole idea of the video nasty, exposing its glistening innards. Now, this reboot of Sam Raimi's landmark 1981 horror exhumes its disemboweled corpse. Yet, despite much old-school splatter, it's seldom frightening and oddly, and oddly unfunny. The only hint of the original's cartoonish shadow slapstick lies in the slight glimpses of the implements, such as the nail gun or the chainsaw, that will later pierce, puncture, and tear flesh and bone. Now, I wanted to specifically bring this up because A, I think that mostly just kind of says what the other two did in that, um, you know, it's serious, a tone, blah, blah, it's funny, but Cabin in the Woods, man, um, a movie that I love, a movie that when it came out, the trailer, remember, I saw the trailer in like 2010, 11, and all the comments were like, oh my god, is this an Evil Dead remake? Is this an Evil Dead remake? And then obviously the movie came out and it's like, no, this is very much not an Evil Dead remake, but they, it's obviously, the Cabin in the Woods is a parody of Evil Dead to the point where... Not only is the plot literally the same as the way it starts, but you have deadites and the board and, and there's an angry tree um, and all that kind of thing. So, you know, they're very much using Evil Dead. Cabin in the Woods, um, because it went so far and wild with dissecting the genre, when Evil Dead remake came around, well, Evil Dead 2013 came around, and it didn't do that, and it was just the genre. I think that kind of soured everybody, especially because Kevin the Woods was so funny, and um, this isn't. Although, I will say, I do think there's plenty of joy here from, again, what we said about the duct tape joke. I think the duct tape is a very funny visual gag of him just, let's just duct tape everything. <laughs> Got an open gash in your chest, duct tape. Lost your arm, duct tape. Like, everything is duct tape in this. Um... To, you know, the, even just the, like, don't cut it off a little bit. Like, it, to me, it's, it's funny. Like, this is very funny stuff. Um, even in the end, I mean, the, the film ends with, I think this is the final line of the movie, is feast on this motherfucker. Like, yeah. that's funny. That's campy to me. That's personality, which um, I think, because you're comparing it to Kevin the Woods, which probably has a little bit more, I mean, it's definitely, I, w I would consider Kevin the Woods comedy um and this not so i mean yeah do, do you know i'm rambling but how do you how do you feel about that no i i think cabin in the woods as well is an excellent film and it did it, it deconstructed every element of your traditional horror film but just because a film has successfully deconstructed a horror film doesn't mean that we cannot have a traditional constructed horror film i don't think that because we've had the film that um, that almost pays, plays everything as a joke, that we can't then have one that takes itself seriously and looks at things with a sincere eye. And, you know, if you look at um, the, I guess, the, the way you might want to look at this is that, and again, I know we will always return to this, but if you look at the difference between um, Justice League 2017 and Snyder Cut, the sincerity at which you play things, even despite how ludicrous they are, is what will draw you in. So if you, as an audience member, are going into something expecting, oh, because I know that this is a horror film like this, I'm expecting it to be deconstructed because I've just seen one that has deconstructed everything, then you're kind of setting yourself up for disappointment there. You're kind of setting yourself up 
for a film that has never sold itself as that, has never sold itself as one that is um, going to surprise you in that way. Because I think this film does, you know, with its campy elements and with its um, gore and, and violence, I still think that it holds a sincerity that the original as well holds as well, in, in the sense that it's still a horror film. It's still based in that this is your fabled horror film of a cabin in the woods and violence ensues. I don't think that it, it's... I feel that the reviewer themselves at this point has done them done the film a disservice by even comparing it to Cabin in the Woods because it's it's yeah it's like trying to compare um, a traditional western to a revisionist one. Of course, you're going to see differences. Of course, the revisionist one is oh, it's making a mimicry of this. It's making a mockery of this. So now the traditional one can't exist. But that's not the case. Just because there is a just because you have a post postmodern version of something doesn't mean you can't return to the original flavor of things. I think, yeah, I think we lose out on things if we if we start to just look at, oh, well, this is taking the mick out of things that came before it. This is taking the mick out of this trope and this trope and this trope. Well, for a long time, those weren't tropes. Those were just elements of horror. So why can't we just look at them with the eye of, no, that's just an element of horror. This is This is just your traditional horror film. We don't need to have a, as I said before, a wink and a nod. It doesn't, everything doesn't need to come with a wink and a nod in that, oh, you know, we're, we know it's a cabin in the woods. We're doing a cabin in the woods again. Ha ha. Isn't that pretty funny? No, this, this is a scary cabin in the woods. I don't want to go to this cabin. I'd be happy going to the cabin in the woods because it's, you don't know what you're going to get, but I would never go to the evil dead's cabin in the woods. Uh Uh-huh. Definitely. No, but also, again, just going with it, like, this is a straight-up horror movie. Um, and again, I will keep repeating, especially with the review number four, which I'll say in just a second, kind of touches again on the unfunniness of it. I will say that I do think this movie is very funny. I think it's very confident. I, mean, I don't think it's very funny. Let me take that back. I think there is comedy to be found in it. I think it's very confident, and it definitely pays homage to the original and to Sam Raimi's film style. But it is also a straight-up horror movie that I think is effective in creating a sense of dread and being unrelenting and making you just gross out which I think is a very valid type of horror I don't like the notion that if you're going through the violence slash gross route that that invalidates you as a horror filmmaker um I just don't think I think it's a separate style of horror I think horror can be many things I don't think horror needs to be necessarily scary I think horror can be horrifying I mean that's a whole topic about genre but yeah, I just believe that horror, gross horror has a place. And I think gross horror can be really fun. I mean, you wouldn't, people call David Cronenberg um, amazing, right? And his style of horror is pretty much, but, you know, gross out horror. Yeah. Um, so I just don't see why, just because this was made in 2013, why you have to say that it's ineffective or not frightening or whatever. Um yeah. And actually, just talking about Cronenberg, let me just quickly get into um, review number four before we're here for like a whole day. Um, this is Simon Crook for Empire. And he said, apart from the dashing demon cam and the odd visual wink, Alvarez steers clear of aping Raimi, pinching scraps of J-horrors. The dead now have the neck cricking routine from the ring and overly Cronenberg body horror parasites plus a sick up to rival Brandefly's drop vomit 
Brundlefly Stropfana, gosh, stupid word. Alvarez borrows enthusiastically, but you sense the voice isn't quite fully formed. Uh, you can hear it in the indecisive score. Great when it's parping and crashing a la Bernard Herrmann, baffling when it goes James Horner, too lush and sentimental, more suited to mild fly-fishing drama than a splatter movie. When the film's left wanting is in a sense of humor. In this department, Evil Dead slots right in with the recent remakes. It's so terrified of being camp, it overcompensates uh, the moody, mean, pretentious style lurking around gloomily even during its party tricks. You could argue that, since Raimi already remade Evil Dead with Evil Dead 2, reviving, excuse me, reviving the Gortoon madness is self-defeating. This remake is very much a product of the torture prawn era, but does it have to be so hard-faced? We'll have the final word to Mia. Promise you'll stay until the end, she pleads in her opening scene. If you're feeling brave, take the hint. Hang about after the closing credits and you might be surprised. Um, a lot of this we touched on, I'd say, uh, especially with the torture form, so I don't think we need to repeat ourselves, but the indecisive score... I don't know, I think the score is pretty excellent in this, actually. And I like that there is the, you know, that it goes from sort of thumping and intense to the more classic and giant and bombastic sort of strings and melodies and just drums at the end. It's, and, the, and the vocals, when like those like opera vocals come in, <laughs> as the, 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 that's just so good to me. I love the score. I don't think it's undecisive. I think it, I think the score elevates itself just how the movie in terms of the way the movie goes so the more crazy the movie goes and the more bizarre things happen the more bombastic and insane it, it goes and um i don't remember the ring having crackling noises but i might be wrong i think it's, it's the it's Did that you... like i'm gonna try and do it myself it's like that uh, kind of oh yeah I voice guess. thing but oh right i thought they meant because obviously the bone cracking of these guys whenever they get possessed is I thought that's what he was referring to. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think um, it definitely does have uh, those sort of, uh, how do you say, like films that came before it, references to it. Yeah, it's got the homages. So yeah, but I think that's great, especially when you're doing a remake or a reboot or a sequel or a spinoff. Um but yeah, and I don't know. I think this film isn't afraid of being camp. We literally, we, 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 there's so much of it um, to me that is camp. It's not, okay, it's not camp in the way that, um, like, Elvira, Mistress of Tatarka is. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, we still have those, again, feast on this motherfucker. Like, that's camp. That's, as Carly Claus said, um, that's looking camp right in the eye. <laughs> that's a reference that you might not get I don't know but it's it's funny anyway how, yeah how do you feel about the whole thing yeah I, I um, again I can see in the way that people view this and I think it is something that we've repeated it, ben, it's that sincerity that they're missing out from it's that everyone's looking at this with a, a cynical eye which is blinding them I'm going to say blinding them because I love the film but yes it's blinding them to what the film's actually trying to achieve and yeah that i love the score i think the score is does a lot of work and does a lot of effort and in the same way that the film evolves the score evolves with it so i'd argue that um you know it makes a comment about promise you'll stay to the end in that review and it's making reference to the fact that we have ash staying groovy at the end but i'd argue you know you promise stay to the end because you want to get to that moment where 
like like we've spoken about before, once that abomination comes, it becomes a completely different film. It turns into mm-hmm. like the Pacific Rim of of monster mm-hmm. movies. <laughs> this is a like I've recently watched Godzilla vs Kong, and the fight in this is much better, is much more tense. You feel the impact much more. So I just think that we have a a a sense of and it's come across in a lot of the reviews where people are just review it's like they're reviewing a film by comparing it to nine other films and i understand yeah. why you may do that given that it's a remake and a, and a sequel and a spin-off and every other word under the sun that it can be but there's also a sense of what you do that you do a disservice if you review a film by comparison then you lose out on what makes a film original because this film is original and it has its original moments and it has original scores and senses and while still playing um, within the, the com- confines of the original. And I just think, yeah, I just I'm, maybe it's just my personal take on things, but once you start reviewing things by comparison, I feel that you've instantly decided that you don't like a film. You've instantly decided that, oh, because it's not as good as X or because it does why differently I'm not as interested in it or I'm not as engaged by it and that is at least what I'm taking away from a lot of these reviews that it's everything is oh this 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 but x does it better or because of why I can't watch this film and mm-hmm. yeah I don't, I don't know if I, I appreciate that as much as maybe I did at one point yeah I just think it's a bit like fruitless I guess you don't really I don't know it just can you do yourself a disservice by nothing that you can't compare obviously you can compare specifically with the, the you know to again it's a remake or reimagining or sequel but the reviewer said it like Evil Dead 2 is um a remake of Evil, the Evil Dead so what's the point of doing that a third time I just don't really think that um I just don't really think that you want to do that. Because it's pointless. If you want Evil Dead, watch Evil Dead. If you want a funnier remake of that, watch Evil Dead too. So this is just a new take on watching it. And I just don't think you need to be so... Oh, it's it's this, it's that. It's not this, it's not that. It's like, come on. No, it, this is it's Evil Dead 2013. And I think it stands on so well on its own that I just don't really see um, the point in even trying to tear it down like that. Yeah. But yeah. No, I, I really... I, I like I said, really, really like the film. And again, I always just come back to the idea that it plays into this whole idea of of um, the this rehab nature of the film works really well. You know, we literally have a character's resurrection; they become a new person. And when you're in um, like twelve step programs, or whatever it is, you have you you are essentially it's classed as being reborn. You're no longer the addicted person; you're now a new person. And we literally have that. And we have Mia fighting against her old self, fighting against the addicted version of her. So, yes, you might say, oh, there's a, there's a lot of, like, um, Christian idealism predicated in this film. But, again, that's that's a cynical viewpoint of it because, actually, it's about overcoming and sort of succeeding against all odds. Um, just to, before we wrap up, you know, there's a what I notice more and more of certain horror films is that you either get the ambiguous ending or you get the purely dire, dour ending. 
And at certain points, I kind of just, I, I kind of just want an ending that's hopeful, even if it's just a little bit of hope. I want an ending that feels that, oh no, things can be okay. You can defeat the monster. You can defeat the demon. Um, so I like that about this film. I like that it, it admits that things can be done. You know, you can through everything survive. Mm-hmm. No, hundred percent. I think you really summed it up. And actually, just thinking, I watched this years ago with my cousin, and I remember her review of it was, "Ugh, it sucks. Everybody died." I'm like, I mean, literally, no. Like, that's the whole point. Is that she's like, it's a final girl. It anyway, just as a thing, it's it, it follows horror conventions to such a such a knowing. Like, it knows, it understands horror. It goes, you know, the final girl trip. I think is so fun to me. Um. That it really goes, and I mean, again, I'm gonna, I'm not gonna repeat everything because I actually think you summed everything up really well to me, for me. Uh, but yeah, I think I like that it's hopeful. I like its tone at the end, its triumph after all the horror that she goes through. Um, it's always as much as I love a dire and upsetting and depressing tale. I also really enjoy a fun, uplifting one. Not not to say that this is particularly an uplifting movie. <laughs> <laughs> But it, you know, it's hope. It, it's got a. You're right. It's got a sense of hope throughout it, and specific. They're always. They never. These guys never give up. I think that's something that's worth noticing. Like whether you're Natalie and you're like, I'm not gonna get infected. I'm gonna cut my arm off. Or you're Eric and you're like, let's just kill her. And David, who's who doesn't even want to burn the house because it's like I can still bring Mia back. Like there's. They never give up ever. And I think that's fun. I think I think that's probably another reason why this is so enjoyable, even though it's so violent, is because there is an optimism and there is a levity to these characters and how much they're willing to survive. Yeah, and well, even in our, our heroic sacrifice of David, like, theoretically, he should have turned into a deadite. And we should see him yeah. as a deadite. And I believe in, in one cut, you do actually see him burning as a deadite. But we don't see that in the version that everyone gets to watch, because... He sacrificed mm-hmm. himself, and he gets the hero's the hero's end. So we don't need to know that. Mm-hmm. Oh, he's burning as a deadite because it's like I said, it's it's optimistic. In that, still, it's despite everything, it holds optimism. Mm-hmm. Exactly. All right. Um, quickly, just because I will have to shoot off soon, because my parents are almost home, and I'm supposed to make uh, guacamole. <laughs> oh, wonderful. Well, yeah. So, quick uh, question: What is the the gory moment that made you win. Oh, the most. It's it's easily the machete through the shed. The yes. Tight, it's it's yes. the smallest little yes. cut, and every single time I know yes. it's coming, and I, I I don't think I've seen it. I literally don't, after the first time I watched it, I don't think I can watch that small little cut. Yeah. It's crazy. It's exactly the same for me. Um, it's I think it's the same for it's crazy because again, so many worse things happen. Big go- people are losing limbs. Faces are being cut off, like it's awful, and yet this really minor wound happens, but it's just the slicing across the knee. Oh, it absolutely gets me. Yeah. It's the one that I really, the, it just really gets me. So I think it's probably because it's the one that's the most relatable. Yeah, literally, <laughs> is, you you feel that cut. It's just, oh, I think I'm like tensing up now thinking about it. It's mm-hmm. yeah. So then, did you know that a sequel is on the way? Finally, yeah. no, it did not. Unfortunately, with Mia. No, not to. It's a oh. it's a sequel in in name only. There was going to be an Evil Dead two, and then Army of Darkness two, with bringing Ash and Mia together. But no, we've changed that now. So now we're oh. doing Evil Dead Rise, which is set in a high rise building. So new okay. setting already, 
And it's on the way from Lee Cronin, who's an Irish director. I don't know if you've seen The Hole in the Ground. No, I haven't. I, I re- really recommend watching that because it's it's very... I can see why he was chosen for an Evil Dead film. Not necessarily in the content, but in the execution of it. Um, I, yeah, that's right. a really... I highly rate that film. I recommend you give it a watch. But yeah, so that's coming either late this year or early next year. So I'm looking forward to that. Okay. I'm very, very looking forward to that. Shame about I would have loved to see Ash and Mia team up, but Yeah. Maybe maybe one day. Uh maybe one day. Maybe she'll make a cameo in Ash vs. Evil Dead. Oh actually they cancelled that, didn't oh, they? Oh yeah, let's not even not even go mm. on, go on with that. Let's not go on let's not go on that. <laughs> By the way guys, there is a TV show, um, which is a sequel to the original trilogy, which um, I actually hated at first and then I came around to it and I actually quite enjoy it now. Yeah, I, I really like it. I think I've watched the three seasons a yeah. few times because it's just it's just more uh, Evil Dead. Yeah, I think I just didn't like. Yeah, I just didn't like that Ash was kind of an asshole. But then, then I kind of got get, get used to it. Yeah. So then. Anyways. Um, just before we go, I have, yeah, I have go one on. final question, which is, we've heard a lot about the cinematography. So, what is your favorite shot of the film? It is either, um, the in the beginning of the film, the first time we see Mia, and she's in the car, and there's like the lights bleeding through the tree, and there's like a solo, and it's the same car from every Sam Raimi movie. Yeah. Um, which I think is such a beautiful nod to him. So that, uh, I'm going to say three. Um, again, also the beginning of the movie, the um, upside down forest. I don't know why, I just really, really like it. I think it's such a good sort of first shot after the title. Yeah. And then, um, uh, I mean, to be fair, a lot of it, um, a lot of it is so beautiful, but maybe um towards the end when she's put it's like a wide and she's you know putting the chainsaw in the abomination's mouth and her kicks on the floor match the strings of the music and and it's raining and the fire in the back yeah that one that one was probably my favorite actually right at the end yeah that's a gorgeous one um it's that like you said that first time we see mia on the car and just you see them like the rays coming through it's just i think i think visually that's that tells a lot about this character it tells a lot about this setting and it's just really pretty mm-hmm. as well it's a really really pretty image and i just really mm-hmm. love jade levy i think she should be in every horror film that's ever existed me too it's, me it's, too you know, her and michael monroe i was just about to say <laughs> those two are like my <laughs> my favorite scream queens of the modern horror scene i don't think they've not done a film together yet have they no but they better yeah i'm saying it if, if not we'll make it evil dead and it follows crossover that's what i'm calling for oh my god i'd love it <laughs> Wonderful. Well, this has been on second thought, and I guess we're still trying to figure out how we end these properly. But as long as you know that that is the name of the podcast, make sure you share it, follow us on whatever um, platform you're currently listening to this on, unless it's like tape decks in because they're sell- they're selling <laughs> tapes again now apparently. So who knows? Oh, well, there you yeah. Go. Um, Sixto, do you have any any? follow recommendations or or where you want to be followed i mean um i'm kind of everywhere now doing stupid shit um but uh just look up six things i hate on any of your preferred social media or twitch or youtube and you'll find me um but yeah Wonderful. i don't really want to talk specific because i'm kind of you know the whole lockdown thing where i just decided to start at something on everything yeah <laughs> that's fair enough so well, you can find me in in, yeah. in various cabins in various woods reading various Necronomicons. Uh-huh. And uh, that's where I like to spend my free time. So bring four of your friends and come join me. 
I will, instead of reading the Necronom, I'm probably going to look out for a buried tape deck, since they're so popular now, and have it play the Necromon for me. Because yeah. reading is too, it's, reading's for 2013. We're in 2021 now. We don't read, we listen. Also, it's the original. Yeah. Um, which, by the way, just very quickly, love how they put so much of the original, like, actual dialogue into the movie, whether it's in the credits or just in the background. Yeah. Um, I just think the sound design is just fucking excellent. Anyways, don't want to keep going for too long, guys. It's been an hour and a half, and an hour and 15. But thanks so much, guys. Yeah, well, bye, everyone. Okay. Enjoy rewatching this film or, or having it just been spoiled for you if you've enjoyed it anyway. Do rewatch it. It's so good. Anyway, peace. Bye. bye.